Today is all about kind of wrapping up the Enneagram and relatable. And um, some have asked, okay, Matt, you've told us it's kind of a personality thing, but it's not really a personality thing. Is it Christian? Is it not Christian? Where did it come from? We're going to answer a few questions today, but I don't want us to miss what is the Enneagram? Kind of a base level understanding of what the Enneagram is. And the Enneagram, I, I love this, this thought, that it really is a neutral tool. So there's not, like, the Enneagram doesn't come from Scripture. It's not found somewhere tucked in there in a book that you've never read before. It's, it's actually just a neutral tool. It's not good or bad in and of itself. It's a tool that can be used if we want it to be used, like almost like a GPS signal to help us know when we get off track relationally or spiritually. Like it helps us to understand what's going on deep within us at, at a motivations level uh, with the, the, the lenses by which we see the world. Like when is it that we're veering off course? Have you ever been driving on Shea? Shea is three lanes in one direction, right? Six lanes all the way across. Have you ever been driving on Shea and there's a sign, it's the dreaded sign. The sign that shows that two lanes are gonna merge down into one lane. Have you ever seen that on Shea? Did you cuss? Be honest. <laughs> and hopefully you saw the sign early enough where you can turn off to the right or left. But, but what that sign does is it's, it's just a signal that something's coming. And the Enneagram, when used correctly, is like a GPS signal that lets you know something's coming. There, there, there might be a way that, that you're, you're veering off course, and it's important to pay attention to that and maybe get back on course. So that's at, at a base level. It's kind of like a GPS signal that helps us know when we're getting off track. So, so don't miss that. And then final thing, and then we're going to jump into the Q&R. Um, final thing is the three pursuits of this series, and I don't want you to miss these, and I hope they've been on the forefront of your mind. Three pursuits. Number one, self-awareness. To look into the mirror and be honest about what is deep within you. What is it that is driving you to live the way that you live? What is it that, that impacts the view you have of the world and the people around you? What is it that is driving you in those di different directions? And self-awareness is important. Uh, even if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know if I believe in God and Jesus and all that is a little weird. Self-awareness is important no matter what you're doing in life. To be aware of who you are and how that impacts the people around you. And the people around you desperately want you to be self-aware, don't you? And you know who's not self-aware is the people who aren't self-aware. <laughs> Whatever that means. Anyway, transformation. Number two, transformation. So the point of this study hasn't been to identify your number and be done. Like that would be, I guess, okay to say, okay, I'm a one. And if you're new, you don't know what that means. But, but just to identify it and say, okay, I'm done. That's it. No, no, that's not the point, And that's not the, the best use of the Enneagram because then you're just putting people in boxes. The use, what, what, what's most helpful about the Enneagram is to identify some things for the purpose of life transformation. And that's where we've been wanting to push ourselves and to open ourselves to God's spirit, which is what does the work within us. But we have to be open. We have to participate with God's spirit and what he wants to do in us. And then the third thing is others' awareness. And I've kind of hounded on this. You're probably tired of it. I just think in our world that's full of hatred and division, we need a little bit more compassion for one another. The people who think different than us, vote different than us, act different than us, look different than us. It's so easy for us just to point out all the differences and say, oh, they're wrong and I'm right, to, to build walls. And in this world, in the current day and age, we need to tear down walls and have compassion and love for one another. 
And so I hope becoming more aware of others and the ways that they view the world, what motivates them, we would be more compassionate towards them. We would see them in a, in a, in a different light and understand there's some things behind their actions and their behavior. Uh, so today, to help out, uh, we've got a couple friends and uh, I'm so excited about where we're going to go. First service was awesome in walking through some questions that you all had. I'm going to invite up first Christy Rolls and Christy's from Florida and uh, we're so excited. She was here yesterday for the workshop, so say hi to Christy. Hey, Christy. Um, she led us yesterday through a deep dive into the Enneagram, and if you were here, you know it was awesome and some great wisdom she's going to lead us through. She's been digging into the Enneagram for how many years now? So I forget. Five, maybe? Five years? Five maybe more? Yeah. Um, so she's a certified family life educator, certified as an Enneagram coach. She has a master's in mental health therapy, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, it's like free counseling this morning for me. Uh, ChristyRolls.com is where you can find her online. And at ChristyRolls underscore is uh, her Instagram handle. And on in her Instagram, she has some great little tools with the Enneagram, using the Enneagram to help all of us. So it's, it's a fun place to land. Second person I want to introduce you to, many of you will know him. Uh, Coulter Bloxham grew up in this church, which is awesome that he agreed to come back. Um, and we were trying to figure out how many years it's been. You said you were eight years old when you showed up to McDowell, you and your family, I think. Did you say eight? Yeah, yeah, eight. Eight. And, and you were, so that means you were here when they were in the high school, as this building was being put together and constructed and all of it, he's kind of seen along the stages. And uh, Coulter, uh, he has a master's in mental health counseling as well. Uh, he he uh, works as a part of Thrive, Thrive Therapy here in Scottsdale. That's the, the, the website. But Coulter, you went to undergrad where? At U of A. Woo! I knew there were a couple families in here that would get excited about that one. Heavier U of A in this service. More U of A in this service, yeah. Last service, which is the worst service. They weren't very excited about that. No, they weren't, no. Yeah, this is the better of the two. Um, Don't tell them I said that. Don't record this one. Anyway, um, but they won last night. Big win for U of A. Big win. Bear down or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Bear down, And then uh, ASU won too. We're equal opportunity at who we cheer for, and nobody cares if the Lumberjacks won. So, um, <laughs> boo. Anyway, and then, so you went on from U of A, you moved up north to pursue your master's. Yes, went, uh, got my master's in clinical mental health at Denver Seminary, and uh, they do not have a football team. <laughs> <laughs> They're really smart, though. We're very, yeah, it's very smart, the Denver Seminary Christians. Yes. That's our mascot. <laughs> the Christians. The Christians, The yeah. Denver Christians. There's only a few of them. Yeah. Uh, that's rude. I'm sorry. Uh, so they're gonna, we're going to dig in. The sermon today is a discussion. It's a, it's a conversation. And really, it's all about Q and R. Uh, we we kind of joked about this. You would ask questions, and we don't have answers. We have responses. That's the right thing to say in today's world. Anyway, that makes me laugh, but Q and R. We're going to dig into that a little bit. And we have a few uh, questions specifically that we're going to dig into. As we, as we think about it, as, as you think about truth, to begin with, um, I, I thought this would be helpful, that all truth, regardless of where we discover it, is God's truth. I want you to think about that just for a second, that anything that is truth, regardless of where we discover it, you know, and even if it comes out of the Enneagram or it comes out of some other uh, tool, like any truth is actually God's truth. He owns that. It's, it's a part of, of, of what... 
he wants us to understand in this world. And I think that's important as we walk into a discussion about the Enneagram, because sometimes we have questions about, like, where does this whole thing come from, the Enneagram? Like, it's, is, it, is it really a couple thousand years old? Is it new? Is it, has it been developed over time? Where does it, you know? And, and the, the truth is, whatever truth we can find in it, really, that's God. So it doesn't really matter where it comes from. Um, there, there are good, there's some good lines through Christianity, and that it has been used very heavily um, really more in the Catholic tradition. Yeah. You were talking about... Yeah, it actually, just even in the, probably the last 15-ish years, it has become a little bit more mainstream, but primarily prior to that, it was used in monasteries and only for spiritual direction. So. Yeah. And for years, as I understand it, it was only, like, you only were taught about your type like, you weren't taught about others' types because it was about self-awareness, and only recently has it been more open that we learn about others, which yeah. I think is very interesting yeah. um, and helpful. So here's the first question. We've got three big questions we're going to tackle. The first two we'll try to do fairly quickly. The third is where I want to spend the, the, really the majority of our time, if we can. So the first question is this. Um, when, when it comes to personalities and deep motivations within us, do they come from nature... So, in other words, um, is it, are we born with them, or is it through nurture? Are we, are we shaped into uh, who we become? Does that make sense, that question? Are you, are you following? So, are we just born who we are, or do our parents actually have a say in that and the people around us? Uh, so, let's dig right into that one. What do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I would say that I think that we are born with kind of a set of predispositions for um, how we're, we're going to operate, maybe just a few innate qualities, and then our environment is extremely influential. So most developmental theorists will, will talk about there being a combination of nature and nurture. Um, I think that we, we usually emerge from childhood with kind of this um, idea of how that we need, we need to be in the world. Um, and... So I would say it's kind of a both and. Yeah. yeah. So you talked about this a little bit in the first service, which I found fascinating. So just a little marriage help uh, real quick. You, you mentioned you and your wife um, that as you, as you grew up, you learned how you attached to other people through your parents. Mm, yeah. And so I'm, I'm not trained the way that you are. So explain that just a little bit real quick. Um, and I think that's nature and nurture as well. Yeah, so um, my wife was not first service, Matt, so we don't need to talk about that. Oh, okay. Part. She's at this one, though. <laughs> and my mom is, too. They're sitting next to each other. So... <laughs> so you're safe. So it's complicated. So in a safe place. Um, yeah, so... Uh, growing up, you know, it's one of my beliefs that we... Uh, we watch our family and kind of understand how we need to exist in the world in order to be safe or to be okay. So the first time that, there's a really therapisty word here, attachment, the first time that we do attachment is with our parents. We look at them and they meet all of our needs. They give us food, they provide us shelter, um, they meet our emotional needs. And so it only makes sense that we would look at them and go, what do I need to be in order to continue to have my needs met for you to, to be happy? And, um, and we we develop this system for this is this is how I do it attachment and then um, at some point you, you can kind of meet enough of your own needs you can get food or, or shelter and so you, you feel like you've understood how to do attachment and you and you kind of finish up writing that book and you put it away and then uh, years later you 
pull out that book the next time that you do attachment, which is usually when you get married, um, the next time that you attach to someone, and that's more of a choice, I'm going to choose to attach to you and go through this life with you. And I actually have this really great book on attachment, and it's right here. You know, you blow the dust off of it. You, and it's written by an eight-year-old. That's you. Um, <laughs> that you haven't touched unless you've done a lot of work on yourself previously. So you're like, oh, I have a book for this. And your partner goes, perfect. I have a book too. Go, great. Our books probably say the exact same things in them for how we do conflict and how we do communication. And um, it's shocking that they don't say the same things. Um, and so... We, we have to kind of revisit some of that and then look at those tools we use to help us navigate life and say, you know, do I, do I want to do these the same now or are these more destructive in my relationships now? And so many would say that by the, the age of like eight, at least, you've yeah. kind of created this personality, how mm -hmm. you're going to interact and see the world around you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So nature, nurture? Yeah, so definitely same. Um, and the analogy I use a lot of is lenses. So we develop a lens early on in life that helps us get our needs met and deal with life stress. And so it's kind of in the same wheelhouse as this book that we've dusted off 20 years later. It's like we haven't taken our glasses off to ever clean them. We put this pair of lenses on when we're young, figuring out how do I show up, how do I get what I need, how do I survive in this world? And we just continue wearing them forever unless it makes a problem unless a problem happens and then you think, oh shoot, maybe I should re-look at my perspective. Maybe I should reassess my approach to conflict or relationships or you know, my attempts to get what I need. So that is the journey of self-discovery is taking that lens off saying, what does this lens even say? How do I see? How is that different than other people around me? And how do I make that a more helpful strategy, you know, a, a book of better strategies or, or more appropriate for where you are and what you need as an adult. Yeah. And I, you said in the first service that really when it comes down to it, nature, nurture, how much does it really matter? Yeah, it like it, you are what you are right now. Exactly. And so digging into that is what the Enneagram is trying to help you right. to do. Yeah. It's not super relevant at this point, you yeah. know, it doesn't change anything. Like we are our types by the time we're old enough to identify them. So it doesn't super matter if it we were born that way or if it developed in early childhood. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. You know, I, I think, Coulter, as you said, we have these predispositions, like we're born with some leanings in life and some ways of thinking about the world and seeing the world and interacting with the world. Um, but then we have childhood messages of our parents who speak to us, and sometimes those things can push us further in that direction. And let me just give you an example. I think I was born with some natu uh, natural inclinations to, to see the world in a way that I wanted to make it better. I wanted to do what I could to make it better. And then the childhood message that I heard, which I'm so thankful for, um, is my parents were always striving to help me better myself and the world around me. So I would come off the football field, for example, and uh, my, my parents would say, great game, we love you. If you never, my, I remember my dad saying all the time, if you never played another football game, it wouldn't matter, I still love you, which I was so thankful for that. And then they, my parents would say, when, when you ran that play and you threw it to the tight end across the middle and it was intercepted, did you realize that the flats were wide open because the running back just went out into the <laughs> flats and wide open in the flats, if you would have thrown it to the flats, you guys would have probably scored a touchdown there. And what I heard in my mind was, you're not very good. 
which I knew I wasn't a very good quarterback, but I didn't need them to tell me I wasn't a very good quarterback. And so you have a little bit of in your nature. My nature was to always want to get better. There was some of that, I think, already there. My childhood messaging pushed me further in that direction, which solidified what was there. Does that make sense? Are you, are you kind of following? So maybe you can see that in your life and kind of where you are. Um, and, and that really leads a little bit into our second question of can we change? Like, are we stuck in our ways are you fixed in who you are, or is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for the person sitting next to you today? Like, <laughs> can they change? So that's, that's the next question. Yeah, so we, in, it's across Enneagram research and information, it's, it's pretty much agreed upon that our core motivations, what drives us, doesn't change. Like, that's developed early on. That's that book that we wrote early on that we continue to live out of forever. We tend to lean that way or be driven by that. Thing or whatever it is, but hopefully you change at some point in your life. Hopefully you grow and mature um, because learning about our core fears and motivations is insight. And then hopefully the way you respond to that insight or the, the way that you respond to that core longing or core fear matures and transforms as you continue to do your work and show up in relationships in a way that um, maybe wants to improve them or, or make them more of a blessing to others and also so that you're more happy and fulfilled in life as well. Yeah, so talk about that core motivations for a second. When you talk about core motivations, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so all nine types of the Enneagram have a core fear and core or core fear and core desire. Um, we call them core motivations. So basically the idea is as humans, we all have something that feels very scary to us. That's our core fear. So that's the thing we're running from throughout our life. In an attempt to avoid that icky thing that we don't want, we develop a core desire that we feel like, if I could have that thing, then I would be safe from this scary thing that I don't want to experience. So our whole life is kind of this tension back and forth. So we're both sixes, and so our core fear is being alone, fear itself, being without guidance. And so our core, that, that feels very scary to us. And so our core desire in order to avoid that is to build a strong um, support network and to have a lot of safety and security. So, I mean, I know Coulter shared in first service, like there's real life even in the last 24 hours where we both noticed that show up in ourselves. Um, so every type has that and identifying that is, is Again, what makes the Enneagram different from even other personality tools because it's all about the why. It's not about how you behave on the outside, it's about what's driving you. So once you pinpoint that about yourself, it illuminates so many things in your life. Yeah, that core fear, if you can get to what is the core fear within your heart and soul, then I think you can move towards transformation at some level. And um, what I mentioned earlier in the service, that in Christ, we're not given a spirit of fear like, we are not to be fearful. Like, God doesn't want fear to drive us, but rather, he wants us to be driven by freedom and love in this world. And so, as we're adopted as sons and daughters, um, he wants us to experience something uh, that doesn't control us the way that fear does, that moves us in an, an unhealthy ways. And so, great transition into our last question. And this is where I wanted to spend the bulk of our time. And I think this is a great question, which came from a few of you. And it's this that if we're following Jesus, then we should be moving towards transformation. Would you agree with that? Yeah? Okay, good. So if we're following Jesus, the goal is to be transformed into becoming more like him. 
to be more Christ-like, more loving in the world. So the question was, does the Enneagram even help in that pursuit? What is it about the Enneagram that can help towards the goal of transformation? And um, I want to begin with this one statement from Beth McCord, which is actually who you studied under the Enneagram. And, and then I want to dig into this, this whole thought, and I think it's found in Paul's writing, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. Here it is. The, the foundational principle is this. The gospel itself is, is the transformation. Now, I just want that to settle into our minds. The, the foundational principle here is that the gospel is transformation. The Enneagram simply illustrates our heart's intent. So that's motiv- motivation. What, 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 what does our heart want? What's the intent of our heart? The Enneagram can show us what's wrong. It can be a GPS signal. It can be a sign on the side of the road, but only Christ can fix it. The Enneagram can't fix anything in you, and it can't fix anything in me. It can help us know ourselves. It can help us see other people, but it can't fix anything at the deepest levels of who we are. And I think that's really important. And Christy, you you started to do this, and so I'm going to put you on the hot seat just for a second. (laughs) You started to do this in the first service, and you made it through, I think, four and so I want to see if you can yes. make it through all nine. Okay. And I'm going to give you time to think just for a second <laughs> as I tell what you're going to do. So there is a core fear within you and a core longing that only the gospel can answer. And the message that God has for each one of us um, is, is in some ways built around that fear that you have. God wanting to speak some truth into you. And so I want you to hear this this morning. Um, and you've studied this, and I know my type's a one, so I know what, I, what I'm longing to hear. And it is unfair for me to put the weight on my wife's shoulders or my best friend's shoulders or my church's shoulders or my employer's shoulders to fulfill the deepest need within me that only God can fulfill. And so, um, did I give you enough time? I think so. Okay, so here we go. So what is the message you think that the gospel yeah. answers with, with each number? So the one, we'll walk through them, the reformer. Yeah. So, and it might take me a second to catch up because I really try to honor and get my mind focused on each. But for the one, what? so let me intro a little bit. So a lot of times, kind of like this, we want other people to fill these gaps for us. But you walk around craving this core desire, like, if only this thing were true, if only this thing were true, if only I had this. And the gospel says, it's already true. God already did that for you. You already have the thing that you long for. So we, part of our transformation through God is allowing those truths that he already said about us a long time ago to settle in our hearts and transform the way that we show up in life. So the one would be that you are already good enough. Because I'm a perfectionist. Right. And Which I want everything like, to be perfect. And right. I don't think I'm good enough. And so the message from God you're is... You're already good. You're already good. And what drives me crazy is that when I read in the, bath, the book of Matthew where uh, Jesus says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I want to do that. (laughs) And I think I can do that. And I think we can make it perfect if we work hard enough. But the truth is we can't. And I can't. Only Jesus can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the message. And his spirit lives in you. His spirit is is there. God is perfect. He's within you. So you are good already. Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't for me. This isn't counseling. So two. (laughs) So I can't help myself. Two is the helper. So the two, the message is you are already loved. And why do they need that? Twos really feel like um, 
they aren't at a deeper level, and it takes two, a lot of times clients of mine, it takes us some deep work to, for them to identify this, but they feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable as I truly am. So they take on this persona of being a really loving, kind, helpful person to try and receive the love that they long for. So the message for a two is you are already loved. The gospel says that. Yes. Like you are loved. It's like the, the father who embraces the prodigal son coming home. Like you are already loved. You don't have to become one of my servants now. Like, you remember he wanted to come back and be a servant? He's like, no, no, you are already loved. Yeah, you're wanted here. So the three, the performer. So the three longs to be seen a certain way. Similar, the two, three, and the four have this unique thing where they want to be seen certain ways and that feels like it would meet their needs. So their core longing is to be seen as successful and valuable and worthwhile. So the gospel to them says, you are already worthy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to prove anything. You are already worthy just as you are. Yeah. You're an heir to the throne. Yes. Like you're sons and daughters of the most high God. And isn't that enough? Yeah. Like to, to, to have the God in heaven adopt us, like, which is awesome. The four, sorry, we got to move quicker, but yeah, four ahead. is the romantic, mm-hmm. the individualist. Yeah. So, yeah. so the message for the four, do you want me to just go there? Yeah. The message for the four is you are seen and special already. So you don't have to force and create this image of being really unique. You are already seen and special. Yeah, God sees you. Mm -hmm. And when, when, um, when Paul writes about, like, whether I go to the heights of the mountains or the depths of the sea, like, you are there with me. Like you, and so for the four, you're seen. Like, God already sees you, which is awesome. The five, well, we could spend all day in this. This is just a this gospel message for everybody yeah, in the room. So totally. the five is the investigator, so they want the knowledge. Yes. Yeah. So the message for the five is you are already competent. You already have all the knowledge that you need to move forward. You are already prepared enough. Yeah, through Christ. Yeah. yeah which is a great gospel message for, for the five, is that you don't have to get more information to be received and welcomed into the kingdom you're already enough mm-hmm. as, as Christ has accepted you. The six is the loyalist. This is you. What's yes. the message you need? Well, it's so hard to believe when I'm talking about myself, but for us, the uh, six is the message is you are already safe. You're already secure. For yeah. me, that, that means a lot about not just eternally safe and secure in the kingdom, but also right now in this moment, I am safe right now. It feels like, I don't know how to believe that <laughs> a little bit. So it takes so much work for us to retrain our minds, but that I, is the message I just like six. zoned out and went back to old school church. Anybody ever how many of you grew up in church? Anybody grew up in church? So in my mind, I just went to a place that many of you do not want to go back to. We used to sing hymns in church like a thousand times over safe and secure from all alarm. Anybody remember that old hymn, safe and secure from all I can't even remember the name of it, but that safe and secure from all alarm. That's for you. That's yeah, the gospel should, message should, for you. I'm going to write that down. Safe I'll sing that later. I don't, does anybody remember the name of it? Everlasting arms. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, oh. leaning. Church girls. Well done. Over here. Anyway. <laughs> so the seven, the enthusiast. So sevens feel this constant craving for more and more and more. They're kind of constantly on the move. So the message for them is you are already satisfied and fulfilled. You already have everything you need right now to be completely fulfilled in Christ himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the eight is the challenger, the one who... Um, is charging ahead with yes. all that they are. Yeah. So, and let me just say this about eights too. I call them the protective challengers. They get a bad rap because they tend to be the most aggressive, strong numbers, but they come from this really tender place of just wanting to make sure they are going to be okay. So the message for them is you are already protected. Like you don't have to. You don't have to be all strong and beefy. Like you're already <laughs> protected. You are already safe with me. I already got you. That's in the book of Christie. Yep. Not in the New Testament. You don't have but to be the gospel beefy. is... You are already protected. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to create the beefiness. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's the present translation. Yeah. Um, the nine is the peacemaker. Yeah, so the message for the nine is you are already at peace. You are already peaceful. You have peace within you. You breathe peace just because God who he is who he is in you. So yeah. you don't have to try and manufacture that or withdraw from life in order to create it or avoid conflict to feel disconnected from it. You already have peace within you. The Prince of Peace. Yeah. Jesus has already accomplished that on our behalf. So you don't have to create it on your own. Like you don't have to strive for that. I love that we just did that. Like that, I hope you wrote down like for your type what it is that, because that is the message and that's the gospel that Christ provides and fulfills what you can't do on your own. And that is the good news that we find in scripture. And it's so important because our personalities kind of respond in the opposite way of wanting to create something that oftentimes harms the people around us in ways that we don't intend, but it just happens out of our desire to, to create this um, security. Um, so Coulter, in the, in the last service, you told this story. I had no idea where you were going with it, um, but it was a gospel story through a movie that you saw recently, and I thought it was just a powerful picture of the gospel. So I, w- I want you to tell us just that, if, if you can, um, in a minute, and, and then I want to finish. I want to close with a passage from Paul, from Romans, that I want to encourage us all to read this week. Uh, I want to give us a little little picture of it this morning. So can you, can you give us that picture of the gospel, which I just think is a great example of what we're all looking for? Yeah, yeah. So um, it, you know, we were talking a little bit of it in the first service about the, the false self, um, which I think is something that we create in regards to, to shame. Shame tells us that there's something wrong with you, there's something bad about you, and so we create this other version of ourself, and um, we sacrifice true intimacy because we ask people to relate to this thing I've kind of constructed over here, and uh, there, there's this movie. Well, real quick, just so you don't miss that, I don't want you to miss that. If you drift it off, don't miss this, that we all do this. We create a false self. Paul talks about it, this, the, um, the flesh, the false self, and versus the spirit, and what the spirit brings, but we all create this persona, this self that we want the world to believe about us, but we all are hiding behind the shell that it is. Are you there? Okay, so the yeah. movie. So there, there's this movie, uh, it's a documentary, came out years ago called Catfish, and the, the term is for when, uh, if you've been catfished, someone who uh, meets somebody over the internet uh, under... Uh, false guidelines that they, they say that they are one person and they, it turns out that they are somebody else. And so there's a story about this. Uh, this guy's a filmmaker and uh, he meets this girl over the internet. Um, he's like 22 and she's 19 and he, he finds her MySpace profile. This is back in the day. Um, and she's this beautiful girl and, you know, they're exchanging messages back and forth and um, he starts talking with her on the phone and, and they start developing kind of this long distance relationship and um, he likes her, and, and he, he even kind of starts getting to know some of the family a little bit. Her, she has this eight-year-old daughter and a, a mom. He talks to her on the phone a couple times, and this goes on for a while. This goes on for months, and um, he, he really starts developing these intimate feelings for her, and then he starts realizing that something seems a little off about this, um, and something seems a little fishy, and, and so they start kind of digging in a little bit more, trying to kind of like expose something, and they start realizing, you know, this is not, this person claiming to be this 19-year-old girl, this is not who we, uh, who we think she is, and she actually maybe even kind of sounds a little bit like her mom that I've talked to a couple times, this, you know, this older woman, and, um, 
and and he's been he's been very vulnerable with this person and, and this, so they kind of start building this thing up and watching the movie I, f- I felt some anger like she's lying she's cheating she's lying to him and getting to him to be vulnerable and expose himself and so they they decide they're like we're gonna go to this person's hometown we're gonna go and we're gonna figure out what's going on and so they show up at the door like hey it's us and the woman you can tell she's kind of like okay but she's like well I'll, I'll invite you in you'll meet you'll meet my daughter another time um, you know, and they're like, yeah, we know there's no daughter kind of in the back of their heads. And they, and they show up and they realize it, she has two um, sons that have uh, super developmental disabilities. And they realize, like, wow, there's a lot of pain here. And as they start getting to know her a little bit more, they're like, this, this is just a really heavy environment. So they decide, you know, we need to confront this situation, but we need to do it in kind of more of this gentle way. And so um, the next morning, they're, they're standing there together. And he's like, so I want to talk to you about something. And... Um, he goes, you know, we've kind of started to, we kind of figured out what's going on. We kind of, we kind of know it. We don't know it all, but we know most of it. And she starts tearing up. Um, and gosh, I always, <laughs> this story always gets me. I'm the only person that's ever cried seeing this movie. <laughs> and she, she goes, she's like, yeah, I, I figured, you know, I, I kind of figured. He's like, yeah, I, um, you know, we, th- we think we kind of got all of it. So there's probably some things that we need to talk about. And she just starts crying because um, she's made up this whole lie and it's been exposed and he just puts his hand on her shoulder and he just goes, it's okay, it's okay. And I, I think that that is what Jesus does with us is we create this false version of ourself that we put forward and we go, this is who I am. We do this with the world. We do this with others. This is what I need in order to be okay, in order to be accepted. I need to be this other person. And he comes in and he kind of just blows it all up. He goes, I know that this is not who you are but I still want you. And the movie culminates in um, the woman, she's, she's a painter, and the, the guy, this 22-year-old guy asked her, he said, I'd really love for you to do a, self-portrait, uh, to do a portrait of me, and so she paints it, his picture at the end, and they continue on in this friendship that he develops this, this friendship with this 55-year-old woman and says, you know, I, I, I know you're not this, but I still want this relationship with you. Um, and I just think that's, that's what Jesus does with us. He goes, I know that none of that's true about you, and I, and I still want you. Mm. That's the gospel. And here's, here's some truth in that, is that I think all of us create a, a persona, a false self, and some of us have been hiding far too long behind this exterior, this external uh, image that we've created. And Jesus and the Spirit is begging us to come from behind the mask, to get out from behind the mask, to be honest about who we are. And there's nothing super sacred about the Enneagram. It's just the tool to help us identify what really lies beneath the surface. And Jesus is the transformation. It's the culmination of becoming the person that we should become. And what Paul says in Romans, and it's Romans chapter 7 and 8, and I'm going to close with this. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And then he goes on, he says, I know there's nothing good that lives in me. That is, there's nothing good in my sinful nature. Can anybody identify with that? 
that the things you want to do, you don't do, and the things you don't want to do, you end up doing? Anybody fall into those same patterns and ruts, and you're wondering, why is it that I do the very things I don't want to do, like I commit to them? And he says, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. It is sin living within me. And I've discovered this principle that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with my whole heart, but there is something else living within me. I've tried everything and nothing helps. Can no one help me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ does and he can. He can help you. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to do what is right, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin. Those who think they can do it on their own, listen to this, those of us who think that we can do it on our own, we end up obsessed with measuring our moral muscles And I think what he's saying there is that we like to highlight the things that we create, the power that we have to create this persona. Well, I didn't, you know, the Ten Commandments, so I didn't murder anybody. That's pretty good, right? So we we have this moral muscle that we we like to to strengthen and show everybody, "I'm, I'm pretty good at this. But those who trust God's action in them actually find God's spirit is already there. For anyone who welcomes him, uh, there's still limitations of the sinful life. We're still held back by some of that, but we live life on God's terms, not the power of what's inside of us. And then, as encouragement, he says, the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he moves into your life and he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. And friends, that is the good news that we find in Jesus, and that's why we pursue him above all. Enneagram's a good tool to use. If it's helpful, use it, but don't lose sight of where transformation comes from, and that's only in the Spirit, through the work of Christ, by the Father who loves us. Amen? Aren't you thankful for these two being here to help us out as we walk through this? Thank you, guys. Would you, would you stand with me? Um, As you go from this place, uh, continue to look in the mirror and learn more about what lies deep within you. Be honest about the false self that we all create, all of us do, and find a safe place to come out from behind the mask. And in that, may you discover that Jesus is enough for you and he fulfills the deepest need that you have uh, that maybe nobody else even knows. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.